Welcome back to the Branding Blog Podcast. I'm Dave Young, and this week, you know, it's it's December. We're heading towards the end of the year, and no, your taxes aren't due till what, April 15th, but this is kind of your last chance to get everything settled, everything in place, because, you know, at the end of the year, everything's final, and it's time to lug the binders and the boxes and everything off to the CPA. So I thought it'd be a good idea this time of year to actually bring a CPA onto the show. And we're going to talk about some things that you really ought to do at the end of the year. Uh, if, if you want to be smart and avoid some problems, avoid some red flags, those kinds of things come tax day and, and make it easier for your CPA to boot. So um, you'll appreciate this. Your CPA is going to love you. If you, if you take some of this advice and um, you know, if, if we can keep uncle Sam happy and keep your CPA happy, that just makes for a, a happy life. So joining me this week is Adrian Van Zelften from Austin, Texas. Hi, Adrian. How are you? Hello, David. Uh, now, Adrian, you, you and I have known each other for for some time. It probably goes back ten years, almost to to one of those About. first partner meetings that uh, Roy Williams put together for Wizard of Ads. Um, I, th- I think you were there, and um, yes, uh, like I said, almost ten years. I think it's it's coming up uh, in February is is kind of the ten year anniversary of that meeting. And uh, <laughs> hard to believe. Uh, I'm, I'm so yes, I'm surprised it has been that long. Yeah, uh, and. So I, I've gotten to know you a little bit. Uh, I've heard uh, Roy tell some epic stories of your uh, heroic battles on behalf of your clients with the uh, the IRS, and um, so I thought you know there, there's just no better person to to bring on this time of year and to give me a, a little reminder that you actually sent out this PDF. I'm, I'm on your mailing list, and you, um, I, I have to say, you've got to be kind of a history buff, aren't you? Uh, a bit. <laughs> a bit. Uh, let, 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 let me comment on the uh, IRS battles. Best way to um, win those kind of battles is not to get in them in the first place. Uh-huh. So I make a pretty strong effort uh, with my clients to uh, dot all the I's and cross all the T's and make sure everything's in good shape before it goes off to the IRS. How many How many um, audits or audit what, what, what do you call it? An audit? You go in with a client and, and uh, defend them or, or explain things? However, that works to the IRS. How many of those have you been involved in over over the course of your career? Lots. I mean, <laughs> the um, I, I've been in practice for approximately thirty years, a little bit more than that, and so uh, things have come up. Some years, uh, uh, not very many. Other years, uh, more. Do you do you keep track of? I, mean, I don't know. You know, I like like uh, defense attorneys and prosecutors that keep track of wins and losses. Do you do you kind of keep a total of that? Yes, um, I I consider, and most people in my profession consider a no change report to be a win. So and, and so, and tell me what that is a no change report. Just that the the, the uh, IRS does not disallow any deductions or add any income, and therefore says that okay, well we'll accept the r- return as you originally filed it, and therefore you don't owe any additional so tax. A no change uh, is a win. Yes. And also, if something occurs where the IRS decides that, um, that you present some issues and they decide that they owe you money instead of you owing them money. Really? That, that happens? That, 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 that is also a win. And, of course, if the audit results in the um, taxpayer having to pay more tax to the IRS, that counts as a loss. 
Okay, so we've got the we've got the uh, the scoreboard defined. What what's your record? Uh, I wasn't really prepared for this question, <laughs> uh, but um, you can ball. This this isn't but, this but, isn't but taxes, I, so you can ballpark oh, it, Adrian. I, I, I well, I'm not going to. I don't have a number, but uh, I do not have any losses. You don't have any losses. I mean, the worst I've ever had is no change. That's amazing. Uh, that's just amazing. So and and so in 30 years. Uh, you said you've been through lots, um, and I don't know. I don't know, you know, how many how many clients a typical CPA has, but it, it's got to be in thirty years. It's got to be dozens at least, right? Is it more than that? Is it hundreds? Is it? No, it's not as many as hundreds. Okay. The uh, there have been some where the uh, night before, um, after doing all the preparation and that, that sort of thing, I've, I've called the client and said. I don't think we're going to win this one. I think that they're going to assess you some tax and it's going to be a material amount of money in the tens of thousands of dollars. But I'm going to go in and give, give it my best shot. And I've, and there haven't been very many of those, mm-hmm. but um, I've been very happy that the ones that have uh, turned out well. And, and um, at least one of them turned into the IRS gave them back money. And I knew that I was going to make uh, – I pretty well knew what my case was going to be and what I was going to present to the IRS, but I just did not expect them to uh, accept it. But uh, that's always worked out well. Uh, that's that's tremendous. So you know, if, if Howard Cosell was introducing you, it would be you know, the IRS in one corner and the <laughs> yeah. undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, uh, undefeated. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's great. So the, uh, you're, you're the guy that I would want in my corner. Uh, so uh, tell me – now, another thing I, that's, that I, I've always found kind of interesting about you, and, and I know that you're not the only one because you just before we started recording, you told me you're part of an association of CPAs who are also attorneys. Yes. So you're a CPA and an attorney. Yes. Well, I, from an educational standpoint, I got a undergraduate degree and then um, an MBA and then worked for a while and then went to law school and um, just bring to bear whatever. And I took when I was in law school, I took a lot of electives and uh, tax courses. And you know, so I just try to bring to bear whatever knowledge comes from whatever place to any issue that comes up. And, and I also know that your undergrad is is from the Air Force Academy. Is that right? Yes. Well, thank you for that. Yes, thank I got you for a, serving. I appreciate well, that. I got I got an appointment and uh, went through four years at the Air Force Academy, which is. A pretty similar system to West Point in Annapolis, and then I was a, a junior Air Force officer for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And and Colorado Springs not a bad place to spend four years. No, it's um, uh, uh, very high and dry, mm-hmm. and and it's very interesting. Well, so let's let's dive into this uh, PDF. You've been sending out these uh, emails to your friends, I guess clients, uh, fellow CPAs. For some time, and most of your emails have to do with history. Your your tidbits in time, I think, is what you call them. Is that yes, right? it's, really, it's really an almanac, and part of an almanac is um, on a certain date uh, has anything previously interesting happened, and so I, I sometimes write about that. Uh, sometimes it's an upcoming event, like a full eclipse of the moon, or or whatever, and I try to do something interesting for each day of each month and send it out on the first of the month so that people can uh, look forward to to things. And of course, if 
it happens to be your birthday that month, you'll probably read the entry that uh, corresponds to your birthday. That's so true. That's so true. I, I, I used to – I remember back when I was in radio reading similar things. I mean, it would just be part of the morning show or part of the, you know, the morning routine. It's like, hey, here's today in history, you know, and you, you go through that list. And I always enjoyed that too. It's, it's, it's fun looking back. Um, and so that, that email is called uh, Tidbits in Time. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the very end, I – almost always put a section called for business owners only and talk about some tax accounting or, or legal issues that are, are current and occurring and that um, business owners would be interested in or maybe need to know about. And that's where this uh, checklist uh, originated. I, I've had um, clients who are business owners over the years and uh, they get to the end of the year and, and many of the same questions come up over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I just sat down to write out the answers to questions that people have asked me and came up with a checklist of things people can do between uh, now and the end of the year and some stuff even during the year that um, would be helpful for getting ready for that end of the year. I'm, I'm just I'm scanning through it, and um, I mean it's it's 12 pages, single spaced, <laughs> and what do we've got like like 15 or 16 uh, major topics? Yes, and the, the, the real number is 19. 19. Okay, I, I I was trying to count while you were talking, and and uh, so 19 major topics, and each one of those has half a dozen or more. Uh, subtopics, and these are all things that, that that a business owner ought to be paying attention to at the end of the year, or or, uh, yes. or throughout the year. I mean, in, in some cases, you know, I mean, if if you can get your record keeping in order, this is going to help you uh, just have an easier year next year, isn't it? Yes, and, and let me uh, define business owners. I uh, really define it by exclusion that if uh, somebody has is in a nonprofit tax exempt organization, that's an uh, entirely different thing. If somebody has, and even though it's called a business, a, a something that's essentially rental real estate or oil and gas production, then those are in special categories and, and don't really apply. But if a person has a business and sells some ordinary thing like shoes or tires mm-hmm. or a or a service like a physician uh, giving medical services or a dry cleaner giving dry cleaning services, then that's uh, who I prepared this checklist for. And so, I mean, is that, does that include even, you know, a, a freelancer that, you know, let's say you're a, a, a designer of some kind and, and – you're in, in, it just depends on how you've organized your, your business, doesn't it? I mean, whether you're a sole proprietor or an LLC or a, a corporation, but, but a lot of these things are going to apply, aren't they? Yes. It's, uh, there are one person businesses. The example sometimes used is, um, air conditioner repair guy who's by himself and has a pickup truck and goes around and repairing uh, air conditioning. Sure. That's a type. That's a type of business. Naturally, it's not a huge business, but uh, it definitely qualifies as a business owner because he's selling a yeah. real product or service. Well, and the IRS is going to look at it as a business. Doesn't doesn't really matter to them. So, well, let's let's. What I'd like to do, and at, at the end of this, uh, we're going to tell people how to get a copy of it. So, if if they're not already on your list, um, we're going to tell them how they can go. Uh, uh, 
raise their hand and say, hey, Adrian, I'd, I'd like to grab one of these. It, it'll either be an email uh, address uh, or, or link. I think we'll, we'll link to your Facebook page for the, the tidbits in time, and, and there's a place that they can join your email list and, and start getting those things mailed to them. And then you, you said you'll mail this complete list to them if they, if they join that list. Yes, I have it in a PDF, so it's easy to drop it in an email to uh, somebody. Uh, let, let me say that I sat down and wrote this for my own clients, and then some other people expressed uh, interest in it, and, and I recognized that it's possibly going to get into the hands of many people I haven't even met. Uh, therefore, I, I strongly recommend that anybody who's who's hearing this uh, before they actually implement any of these items, that they check with their own tax preparer. And if there's any discrepancy, then do whatever he or she tells you to do and ignore my recommendations <laughs> uh, c- completely. Uh, however, you'll still find the checklist helpful to make sure you end up discussing some important things with your own personal tax preparer, which you might have otherwise failed to bring up, and they wish that you had brought them up. Yeah, I mean, they, they uh, I, I suppose in many cases, your, your tax preparer, your CPA, doesn't know your business inside and out. And there may be issues on this on this checklist that that you know you're doing that you've just never bothered to tell them, and so uh, I think that can be a, a tremendous use for this. So let's let's uh, let's dig into it if we can. Um, out of these 19 major categories, the, the first one on here, of course, is, is Christmas gifts. It's that time of year. So you've got a, a, a topic of Christmas gifts to employees, vendors, customers, or clients. What, as a business owner, what are some of the most important things to to pay attention to this time of year as, as far as Christmas gifts go? I mean, does, does everybody get to well, deduct everything? Well, let, let's uh, uh, talk first about uh, Christmas bonuses to employees. Okay. It, it's not necessary to give them anything uh, or end-of-the-year bonus. It's entirely voluntary, but many business owners do, so... Uh, let me talk a little bit about uh, how it works. Uh, there are non-cash gifts, and if it's a food item, then it doesn't matter how much it costs. You give it to an employee, and it's it's a deduction to your business, but it's not income to the employee. However, if it's a not non-food item, uh, if it costs more than $25, then it's income to that employee, still a deduction to your business. But it has to show up on the employee's W two. So as long as you give and, them food, you can you can deduct it no matter how much. Yes, and uh, and and there's a um, uh, twenty five dollar limit if it's a non food item like a pen set or or you know anything else you give. Uh, the funny thing about it is that. If you give them, you go to a grocery store and buy a gift certificate at that grocery store for something over $25, say 50 or 100 or whatever, and give the employee the gift certificate and they use that gift certificate to buy food, then it's not it's not a food item because you're giving them a gift certificate, oh, no. not not ac- not actual food, and and again, it's the $25 limit, and the the rule is that. It, it's not subcontract payment, and it doesn't go on a 1099. It has to be added to their uh, W-2. Oh, wow. So I, I've, got a, I've got a client who, uh, as a side business, raises uh, Black Angus. Yes. So he could, he could give his employees, uh, you know, a, a, a whole steer. A side of beef or something. And, That's right. And uh, he can deduct it, and they don't have to pay any tax on it because it's food. Yeah. Yes, that's right. All right. Uh, 
Now, most of the times, uh, if you're going to give an employee a bonus or a gift, it's going to be in the form of cash or a check. And so it has to go through the payroll system. And there aren't any exceptions, even for um, something under $25. Okay. So so just uh, uh, get the, you know, just figure that because you're not giving them an actual gift, you're giving them cash. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, it's definitely not non-food. And so that has to go through. And if you want to do an even number, like $100 or $500, well, you can do that. If you have a payroll service, you can just call them and they'll figure it out backwards of what the Social Security and Medicare and that sort of uh, tax withholding um, is. Okay, um, that makes if sense. You don't, if you don't have payroll service, then you got have to figure it out yourself in order to get it come out exactly to five hundred or exactly to one hundred or whatever. I love businesses that do that with their sales tax. Yes, they, they figure it out backwards and, and just make it an even amount. Love it, love it. All right, any, anything else uh, at, at the end of the year for Christmas time? Uh, what about gifts to, to customers and clients? That one, you can give them a gift of, and it can be a food or any other item, or it could be cash. Um. But you only get to deduct the first $25 of it, and that's per year. And so if you give a customer a $100 gift certificate, then um, you write the check to the person that you buy that from and, and give it to the customer. But when it comes time to figure out your tax return, you can only deduct $25 worth of it. For for each person or yes. entity? How, how, um, okay. Yes. Um, you know, um, Essentially, clients or customers are, are vendors. I mean, these are non-employees, right. and therefore, it doesn't have anything to do with the payroll. But um, it does, there is a limitation on how much you can deduct. That's that's to keep you from from laundering money through uh, through the Christmas gift uh, season. <laughs> well, I'm not sure the. Uh, I the, know the I was probably not it, laundering but, money, but but, but but the uh, but the thing about it is. Uh, um, Lavish gifts to customers are fine because it may uh, cause them to give you referrals and you get more customers and that sort of thing. It's just that the IRS won't let you deduct very much of it. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And then I, I suppose at, at some point, if you if you give a lavish gift, there's uh, there's probably tax consequences for the recipient, depending on what it is. is yes, that- depending on what it is. I mean, uh, like if you give somebody a car, then you're you're yeah. after. You're going to have to deal with that. And, and you've seen situations where people have won a car or won uh, some large uh, prize, and you just have to deal with that. But yeah. that's uh, uh, that's not so common with ordinary businesses. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that Elvis used to do. That Okay. Yes. Uh, okay, well, let's move on to the next one. Um, this is end-of-year deposits and payments. Anything special there that uh, – that business owners need to pay attention to. And, I, and, and give me some examples of what, what we're talking about with end-of-year deposits and payments. Well, there's the cash versus the accrual basis. And people who are on the accrual basis record income when it's invoiced to your customers and record expenses when uh, they are incurred from your vendors. So the dates of the invoices that you send to customers or the dates of the uh, invoices that vendors send to you uh, determine what year it's going to fall in. On for cash basis businesses, that anything you receive from customers prior to December thirty first and deposit in your bank, then that's income from the current year. Even if you have lots of accounts receivable, if the people have not paid yet before the December thirty first, it's not income in that particular year. And the same thing is true about 
uh, payments. If you actually write the check and put it in the mail before the end of the year, then you can take that de- deduction uh, for the current year. And and you only have to count it as income if you're if you're in a cash basis. You only count it as income if you deposit it. Is that right? Is it, did I hear you say that? Yes, but uh, don't be too aggressive on that. Okay. I mean, if if, if the uh, money comes in and the, the during the last uh, uh, week of the year on say Monday or Tuesday, and the first of the year doesn't start until the following Monday, then go ahead and deposit it. Um, but sure, if it's the very last day and you can't reasonably get to the bank in time and that sort yeah. of thing, it's going to count in the in the year in which it's deposited. Well, and, and you know, for for an average business, this kind of timing is probably not going to make a big big difference. And you'd have to be paying pretty close attention to everything to know whether it'd even be advantageous for you to wait a day or two, wouldn't you? Yes. And let's talk about this specific year, 2011. Uh-huh. And December 31st falls on a Saturday. And therefore, December 30th is on a Friday. And then um, – um, and so – you know, depending on on how you do things, um, obviously, I mean, a lot of people will not be open on Saturday, and those who are may or may may not be in time to make a bank deposit and that sort of thing. So, just keep that in mind. What What are some of the biggest stumbling blocks of of, of this kind of thing, Adrian? I mean, what where do people get tripped up? Because also included in this kind of end end of year. Uh, concept is purchases of inventory and equipment, those kinds of things. And I've heard of people timing, you know, those kinds of purchases. Are, are there advantages, disadvantages? Are there are there things that people are just confused about with with regard to that? Uh, yes, uh, inventory uh, doesn't help you at all. These, these are items that you're going to resell later. And uh, they're just not deductible until you sell them, and it doesn't matter if you're on the cash or the cruel basis. So people think, oh, I've uh, got a bunch of money in the bank. I'll go out and buy some more inventory, and that'll get my – definitely gets their cash account lower, but it's not it's not deductible. Okay. Uh, for, for equipment, the rule is placed in service. And so if you buy something and um, – soon enough before the end of the year that you can actually put it in your business and start using it, then it counts in the year in which you you purchase it. And that doesn't matter uh, at all for financing. That is, you can put a small down payment and place the uh, piece of equipment, say a car or a vehicle or a machine of some kind or a computer in service for the end of the year, you really haven't paid for it yet, but they don't care about that. That's uh, that's just between you and whoever is lending you the money. You still get to uh, deduct depreciation or um, accelerated depreciation. So you can on, you can go on ahead equipment. And, you can go ahead and get that new MacBook Air for Christmas, and uh, yes. as long as you open it up and start using it for your business before New Year's Eve, it it's depreciable for for the year. Yes. All right. Anything else uh, in in that category that uh, is is of special concern? Well, let's let's talk about um, uh, payroll because again, with the the way the December thirtieth falls and December thirty first, if you have a payroll service that's doing direct deposit, there's a possibility that uh, that will get all bollocked up in this particular year because they normally withdraw the money from your account on one day and then the next day is the actual paycheck day. And therefore, 
theoretically, they would take the money out of your account on Friday the 30th, but the um, the paychecks would be dated January uh, something because they can't put it into the employees' accounts on the 31st. And so the solution to that is just have your payroll service move the date. Instead of the 30th and 31st, have them do it the 29th and 30th or or the Wednesday and Thursday or, or something like that. So they but, actually get it on, on Friday the 30th or – Yes, and and again, that affects uh, forms W two. Uh, that is the it's the date of the paycheck or the date that the money goes into the person's account. In the case of direct deposit, that determines what quarter those that payroll is paid in, and and therefore, uh, theoretically, even though you meant it to be paid for two thousand eleven, it wouldn't be uh, show up on the person's W two until two thousand twelve. And then, therefore, your payroll taxes would not match with your uh, payroll. It, it could be a. This, this doesn't really happen. It doesn't ha- doesn't happen often. But uh, 2011 is one of the years that that could happen. And I'm thinking of like like you know there there are some businesses where you pay people you know at the end of the month. So yes. you, you could theoretically have a twelfth of your entire 2011 income dumped into 2012. Right. That, so you you could actually create uh, not just a tax problem for the business, but for your employees as well. Or at yes, least possibly. at least uh, that maybe it may not be a tax problem, but certainly some confusion. Yeah, so that's a good way to to uh, avoid that. Get get those payroll checks out just a couple days early this year. If somebody's paying with paper checks instead of um, payroll service and direct deposit, then the rule is that the employee has to be able to pick it up before the end of the year. That doesn't mean they the employee actually comes in and picks it up, and that's sort of up to them. But you have to have it available for them to pick up. So that, uh, the 31st works. Uh, it's a, a Saturday. And um, if you're, say you're only open till noon or something like that, but if you have the paychecks available that morning and anybody who is there picks up their paycheck, that, that's going to be fine, even if not everybody does. Okay. I mean, so it still, still, still counts as the date of the paycheck. So the big timing issue is if you use a payroll service. That that's where you could run into into some tricky problems. If you just uh, yes. if you do your uh, own paper checks, um, just just get them done and make them available, and and you'll be fine. Yes, uh, usually people who do direct deposit have um, payroll services. However, payroll services also do paper checks, so you could be in 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 that situation too. Okay, and so just watch those those dates, particularly at the end of this year. All right. Well, you know, one of the things that that Almost everybody that's in business or or sales, you know, anybody that that does any kind of traveling, does any kind of driving, uh, they think about mileage logs, and so it's one of those things that that gosh, I've I've always, yeah, you just dread them, don't you? Um, oh yeah, it's terribly inconvenient. <laughs> so uh, I noticed you got uh, uh, three or four items on, on this on this checklist about mileage logs. What what's the most important thing people need to know? Well, first of all, uh, there are now phone apps that uh, are computer apps that people can can use for their uh, mileage, and 
you know, depending on if you have an iPhone or an Android or something, you just look and, and uh, there are a bunch of different possibilities. I, I have not seen one yet, but I'm hoping for one that ties into the GPS on your phone so you don't even have uh, – it just keeps track of the, the mileage for you more or less uh, automatically. I also have an MS uh, Microsoft Excel spreadsheet that I can send people and uh, – um, and so I send those to my clients to to use. But there are two different ways to compute the cost of business uh, driving. It's either actual cost or cents per mile. And some people think that you only have to keep a log if you use the cents per mile method. Mm-hmm. But but even if you use the actual cost method, you have to have some way of apportioning between business use and personal use. And the only reasonable way to do that is by the number of miles driven for both categories. And so – Again, you have to use a, a mileage log. Okay. Gosh, an app would be great. I, you know, I, I've got an app that that can that uses the GPS and actually tells me how far I've walked. Right. You know, so uh, I, I imagine I could use that. Just. I mean, it, it, was, it, it would think I'm if, walking pretty fast. <laughs> if, if it's not there now uh, already, and I think it may be. Uh, I'm sure within the next year somebody will come up yeah, with that. App. I'll, I'll bet there's one. I bet there, as they say, there's an app for that. There's got to be. Um, uh, let, let's talk. Let's talk about commuting. Okay. Uh, everybody has to commute. Everybody has to get to work somehow, and so going from your house to your job is not deductible for anybody. Uh, for business travel, uh, that goes for the f- first trip of the day from your home to your first. Uh, work location. Let's say you're a carpenter and had two or three job sites. Mm-hmm. So getting from your house to the the first job site is commuting. It's not deductible. And then all the rest of the driving you do during the day to get to other job sites is deductible and can go on your mileage log. And then your last work location at the end of the day back home is again commuting. It's not deductible. Okay, so do your do your closest jobs at the beginning and the end of the day, and and uh, there are, besides the carpenter example, um, say a doctor um, gets up in the morning, drives to his his office and sees patients. Well, that first trip is not deductible, but if he goes to hospital to make rounds or you know s- something else, even to the bank to make a deposit or the post office to um, ship some. Um, lab supplies or something like that all of those are ordinary or necessary business expenses and so those count but then the the last place he is at the end of the day back to his home is just commuting okay well that's good to know um how about business meals well if if it's an in-town meal you can deduct it if you have a customer or prospect that you're treating who will – you have a reasonable expectation that they will generate some income for your uh, company. And all you have to do is uh, keep track of the date, the location, the amount, who was there, and the business purpose. So if you have a – if you do it by credit card, you'll have the date and the location and, and the amount. And so you just have to have – have to know who was the – customer or prospect that you were there with and and what the business purpose is. And uh, that could be something as simple as uh, um, asking them for um, business or for a referral. Okay. Uh, how about out of town? Um, if, if you're out of town, uh, just yourself, not with a customer or whatever, then you get to deduct that 
because you could you couldn't just go home and feed yourself for free, right. uh, sort of. And the documentation is uh, basically the same. Um, to be to count as out of town, it requires an overnight stay. So you couldn't drive to uh, even pretty far away and work all during the day and then drive back at home at night and have it count as an out-of-town meal for lunch that day, as an example. Okay. And so with all of these things, Adrian, like the, the mileage logs and these meals, documentation is the key, isn't it? Uh, yes. I mean, they, they will um, – um, if you deduct it and you're audited, the IRS will ask for a copy of your logs. And I, I remember sitting in a uh, oh, one of those Franklin Covey, um, whatever their product is. Is that the are they the daytimer people? Um, anyway, it was one of those things where you you sit in a big group and they show you how to how to work this big uh, calendar system that they sell. And I remember the guy saying that uh, the IRS actually loves and, and, and respects contemporaneous notes. So if you keep a running kind of diary of, of your miles and your meals and, and all of those things to, as, as your form of documentation, um, that, that's just fine, isn't it? Uh, yes. The, it, it really has to do with the rules of evidence and uh, the section where uh, that's related to contemporaneous written records. Um, those are uh, good evidence to bring into a courtroom and therefore the IRS abides by that same uh, pr- principle. So it's contemporaneous means that um, you didn't wait till the end of the year and, and um, write all this stuff down. Figured all and, and and written written of course is um, is, is is obvious, but um, the um, and and it doesn't have have to be at all formal. I mean, if you have a calendar or like you said, the a day timer, which is a type of calendar, and just write it on that date uh, as um, the business purpose and who you're with and what what was going on. Then that that counts. Okay. Um, and, and I imagine that, that as we head into the next one, entertainment kind of falls along some of these same um, yes, definitions. Yes. I mean, uh, really, uh, documentation uh, is one of the most important things. But what what are some of the requirements for entertainment expenses? Well, there's one piece of commonality, and that is uh, for the deduct- deduction for food with customers and that sort of thing. You only get to deduct fifty percent. So um, if if it's just you and one other person eating lunch together, then you write down the whole amount. But when it comes time to do the tax return, you only take 50% as a deduction. If you're with five people and you pay for everybody's lunch, then um, it's still 50%. Uh, of the whole know, thing. Of the whole thing, okay. yes. And entertainment is the same way. And uh, just an example of some uh, things uh, – um, uh, would be a, a play or a show or um, uh, a sports game or hunting or fishing or, or something like that. However, uh, club dues, like to country clubs and athletic clubs and airline, hotel, and luncheon clubs, are not deductible at all. I mean, then uh, that is um, formerly those were deductible, though it's been a long time. Uh, since then, but some people still have are under the misapprehensions that if they join a country club and play pay uh, monthly dues, that that's deductible because they will sometimes bring uh, customers out, and those are just not deductible at all. Okay. 
Um, well, let, let's head into uh, th- this is this is where you might lose me, right? Okay. And I know you know as, as as we talked about doing this, you you were uh, you were worried that this would be boring for business owners. I, I don't I don't think it is. I, I think this is fascinating, just the kinds of things that you have to do and don't do. But but I look at this as fi- uh, fixed assets and depreciation schedules. And now I'm going, oh, uh, but the, I, I don't run the kind of business that really has. Uh, a, a lot of fixed assets. So, so what's the important thing to consider at the end of the year for a business that that operates with fixed, ac- fixed assets and uh, doing a lot of depreciation on their on their balance sheet? The definition of a fixed asset is a, something that has a useful life of more than a year, and you put it on instead of uh, just uh, putting in, in an expense account. On your profit and loss statement, you put in the balance sheet and depreciate it over five years or seven years or whatever. Uh, however, small things like simple office equipment like tape dispensers or staplers have a useful life of many years, you know, well, more than one year. Uh-huh. And it would be ridiculous to designate uh, those because they're really just office supplies. So a lot of people use a standard cost level. The most common is $500 to decide what to depreciate. So uh, – um, stapler and tape dispenser would be well under five hundred dollars. So it's a really uh, defer- nice tape dispenser. <laughs> but uh, but but a, a new computer um, may cost more than five hundred dollars, and mm-hmm. in which case, definitely you want to put it on the the balance sheet and depreciate it, uh, or it may cost under five hundred, and, and you may uh, get into a judgment call. Okay. Uh, the um, uh, uh, let's see. Leasehold improvements. If you have an office and you have to do finish out or if you have to do um, upgrades or something like that, that's got really um, long-term depreciation. It's the 39-year life. And so that would be uh, paint and carpet and those those kinds of things. Your lease may only be for three years or five years. And um, the underlying theory is, well, you may renew that lease and renew it and renew it and end up staying there for 39 years, which is why they give you the 39-year <laughs> depreciation schedule. So if you take any number, even if it's a big number, divided by 39 years, then you're not getting very much depreciation every year. But if it's a lease space and you move out at the end of three years or five years or whenever your first term is up, then you, in that year, get to depreciate all the uh, – the amount that you'd paid for finish out and carpet and paint. Anything that's left over uh, you and, haven't and already depreciated. You can. That, that's right. And that could be a, a big number. And the reason is you are no longer leasing that space. Okay. So somebody else gets to use it if they if they decide to. You know, I, I've seen some businesses that I think have left the same paint and carpet for 39 years. You think it's just because they're they're still depreciating it? <laughs> no, it's because they uh, the they place is getting sh- shabbier and shabbier. <laughs> I can't imagine thirty nine year old carpet in a busy uh, uh, business location. <laughs> uh, let, let's say one more thing about depreciation. Sure. And uh, the con- Congress has over the years passed various laws to uh, stimulate the economy, to encourage uh, businesses to buy uh, furniture and fixtures and equipment and vehicles and things like that. And the most common way that they've uh, tried to stimulate is by allowing business owners to depreciate most or all of that in the first year. And that's still the the current law. And so even though 
something may have a five or seven year life, then you may be able to depreciate all of it in uh, 2011 if you buy it and place it in service before the end of the year. So that goes However, back to, to the, that, that Christmas topic that we talked about. Yes. Okay. Uh, however, that does not apply to leasehold improvements. Okay. I mean, there's no accelerated depreciation from that for that, but there is for other types of assets, computers and cars and that sort of thing. Okay. Any any special things for a business to consider that that keeps inventory around? I mean, they they've they've got inventory. They've uh, got to keep track of it. Is is the end of the year the time that, that, that people have to take inventory? What? Yes. Um, the thing about inventory is you have to count it, and uh, it should be done after the end of the last business day of the current year, or before you open for business on the first. Uh, day of the next year, because if if you wait, then you will have sold some of that stuff that you had on on hand at December thirty first. So you have to make adjustments and and that sort of thing. And it's just um, it's just account again. I've got a, a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet that uh, anybody who wants a copy, I'll be glad to give them a, a copy of that that help them take uh, inventory. But it's. It's not one of the well-liked jobs in a business. It might be a dusty warehouse. It's going to be during the cold of winter. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time. It's boring. And admittedly, all that's valid. But you can enlist the aid of all your employees and all your family members, and and hopefully many hands will make light work. So go ahead and and plan to get inventory scheduled. All right. Um, Let's see here. I'm 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 looking here, Adrian, and and I'm, we're we're halfway through this list. Only, only halfway, right? We said there's 19 subtopics, uh, or, or, or yeah, 19 main topics, and and uh, I don't know how many. How, how many of the of the the little tips on the checklist? Lots. <laughs> uh, what I'm thinking is we should we should is there is there anything in here as I as I skim and scan the rest of this, um. Let me just read some of the topics, and if, if there's something that jumps out at you and you go, oh, my gosh, we can't not mention this one, then, then jump in. But just some of the, some of the next topics are, are you, you talk about expense reimbursements, uh, pension and profit sharing, if you've got 401K plans and, and the like. Uh, you've got uh, some tips on um, reasonable compensation, so if you have a C corporation or an S corporation, Partnerships, proprietors, and, and LLCs, and, and, and those types of things. You've got uh, tips and advice. Um, I like this one: bookkeeping tricks and traps. Uh, some some good stuff here. What 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 are some of the some of the biggies in in the bookkeeping tricks and traps? Well, um, on your computer, you just pull up your year to date balance sheet that you have right now. And go to uh, modify reports and change from accrual to cash. And you may already be on the uh, cash basis, so you don't might not need to do that. But uh, if you if you do need to change it, then or even if you don't, some of your accounts should be zero on the balance sheet. If you have any amount in accounts receivable or undeposited funds or accounts payable or payroll liabilities or payroll tax liabilities, that almost inevitably means you have some errors that have crept in during the year. They're probably just coding mistakes, but you find that 
by looking at the um, cash basis statements, even if you're on accrual. And then you can um, pull up both the balance sheet and the profit and loss statement and then just click on each account. And and it'll only take a few minutes and just look through it to see if it's reasonable. Uh, for an example, if you click on uh, telephone expense, it'll bring up all the checks that you wrote for a telephone expense during the year. And you see 12 checks to AT&T or some other telephone company uh-huh. and, and one check to your landlord then uh, it's going to be an obvious miscoding mistake. So you just uh, recode that check to rent expense. And um, it, this sounds like it's a big job, but it only takes a few minutes. It's probably take you 15 minutes to go through all of your accounts, and, and things will pop out at you that, oh, this is just in the wrong place. Somebody just made and, a data entry mistake or, or something. Yes, and then um, um, you've now, got Are you three- talking about like, like is, is this like in QuickBooks or programs like that? Yes. Okay. Uh, pretty, pretty much all of the um, uh, computer bookkeeping programs have that. Uh, QuickBooks has a, a really large, possibly even 70% market share. So that's what probably most people are using. Okay. All right. Well, that, that's, that's good to know. Um, any, anything else? I mean, in, 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 as far as just cool bookkeeping tricks and, and ways to avoid problems. Uh, I see on here, don't make cash payments. Well, uh, these days, it's, it's, there's no real need to have a petty cash fund or worse, to pay cash out of your cash register. Uh, you can use a company credit card or you can let an employee or yourself pay with personal funds and then just get reimbursed by presenting a voucher and getting a, a company check. Uh, it's It's even worse to... Uh, cash payroll checks for your employees using money out of your cash register or cashing checks for anybody. I mean, you're not a bank, and so um, don't check um, cash checks. Just have the people go to a check cashing service. Uh, th- that can lead to real um, bookkeeping. Uh, it's really hard to fix the bookkeeping when people are paying stuff out of their cash register. And of course, if it's a very small amount and only happens occasionally, it's not nearly as hard to fix. But people who make a regular habit of it, it's very hard. Okay. Well, that makes sense because you, you've got – yeah, I wouldn't even know how you do that. You, you've got now cash – you've got checks in the drawer that weren't for purchases and yeah, it, it could – uh, it confuses me right now. <laughs> An- another good thing to do at this time of year is to look at your bank reconciliation. And if there are any checks on there that are really old, uh, maybe um, <laughs> you may have written the check in, in January. It hasn't cleared yet. Uh-huh. Well, it's probably never going to clear. So go ahead and void it. If, it, uh, if, if you make a mistake and it, and it clears in the future, we can put it back into your uh, check register and use your own judgment as, as to whether or not you think a check will ever clear. Uh, <laughs> feel free to just call the person th- that you sent the check to and say, uh, do you ever get this check? Why hasn't it cleared? Uh, you have to be especially careful of payroll checks because if you avoid a payroll check that hasn't cleared, then that's going to have an effect on your payroll and payroll tax returns. But pretty much any other check, if it uh, uh, hasn't cleared by now and it's been a while, then it's probably never going to clear. So go ahead and get rid of that now rather than um, waiting to sort it out in the taxes. Yes. Okay. Um You've got some items here on on bank statements and credit card statements, making things simpler, uh, consolidating things. Um, an interesting section here, a lengthy section in 
uh, in your checklist, Adrian, on employees versus independent contractors. And I, I know that that's, uh, that's a big issue in this day and age, especially, I think. You know, there's, there's lots of people that are working uh, virtually. Uh, they're they're doing uh, uh, work for companies, uh, you know, that they may not actually ever set foot in, um, and the, the IRS has some uh, ways that they look at whether or not someone is, is actually an employee versus what the business owner might hope would be classified as an independent contractor. Well, in the case of um an employee, that person gets a W-2 at the end of the year, and the employer is taking care of uh, withholding Social Security, Medicare, and federal withholding tax, maybe state withholding tax as well. And so that person files their tax return and either gets a refund or not. And uh, But somebody who's classified as an independent contractor, they just get a check. There's no withholding on it. And if um, if they never file a tax return, the IRS never gets the money. In the case of an employee and who's head withholding, if they that person never files a tax return, the IRS has already gotten their money. Yeah. And so they, they've got a, a strong incentive to classify everybody in the United States as an employee and nobody as an independent contractor. However, there are some people who can legitimately be classified as an independent contractor. And the, the key is... Uh, control. If you exercise significant control, the worker is going to w- look more like an employee than an independent contractor. And you've probably heard about the 20 questions test. Uh, it's only a set of guidelines. It's really more than uh, 20 questions now. But you can go to the uh, irs.gov uh, website and pull down form SS-8, and it gives you a, a list of characteristics and it'll be pretty clear if you go through that with any uh, worker that you've got whether or not that that person can be legitimately classified as an independent contractor instead of an employee. Okay. So uh, you, you can look for that. And then you also have a little note in here that says, if you ever get a Form SS-8 in the mail from the IRS with instructions to fill it out for one or more of your workers, not a good sign. That's right. That means uh, somebody thinks that uh, a person is uh, uh, being classified as an independent contractor and should have been classified as an employee. Is that is that typically come up as kind of an employee grievance? I mean, I, I've heard of employers that that try to classify people as independent contractors so they can avoid, you know, benefits and and uh, you know all, all all the different things that they have to do for employees and and of course, uh, you know, just just basically work at will is that uh is that really the the problem here oh yes there's a uh incentive for the irs to reclassify a person to become an employee and a incentive on the case of the business owner to classify somebody as an independent contractor because it just costs less you yeah. don't have to pay payroll taxes on independent contractors and um and again it's pretty clear, but it's not, in some cases, crystal clear, and some people try to push the envelope too much. Okay. So what's uh, what's the worst case here? What, what what are the bad things that could happen if, if you get this issue wrong? The number is so high that it will take your breath away. <laughs> what, what so, you, uh, you, I mean, I mean as like an example. 
Yes, if you hit with reclassification, you'll be subject to at least 15% of the total payments that you made for any worker that's reclassified, and that goes back uh, three years. So is that like like the the equivalent of, of what you would have been paying in, in Social Security and, and uh, those yes. kinds of things? Okay. Uh, on top of that, there's um, – and that's just the uh, – um, what you should have paid. Uh, you're also subject to another 15% pen- penalty for not, that's penalty for, for not doing it right. And then, um, uh, if you think about how many potential workers there are and their gr- total amounts of the check that you gave them, and you go back for three years, the, uh, and, and multiply that times 30%, it's, it's a huge number. Uh, workers are, in in many businesses, the biggest single expense. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And and so um, it's easily enough to sink your business. Adrian, uh, work, work. Go ahead. Worse than that, um, I mean, might cause you to have to file bankruptcy. But even if you do file bankruptcy and that gets rid of the other creditors, it doesn't get rid of the IRS because they're in a special category under the bankruptcy law. And anybody in the business who had any responsibility for payroll. Uh, can be charged personally, jointly and severally. And so that's officers, directors, and owners can be personally responsible for these reclassified payroll taxes. And not only that, but anybody who's on the signature card on the business bank account can be personally liable. Holy cow. So it's, it, it's, uh, um, and then, like I say, these are, can be really big numbers. Right. And in most cases are really big numbers. Well, it sounds like, well, what, what are, what typically, are there, are there, Types of businesses, categories of businesses that, that get in trouble more often than others in, in this regard, in this in this way. I mean, is it, is it something that the, like, um, like contractors, uh, service businesses, things like that? That you know, uh, I, I think I'm, I'm thinking like like this summer, um, the, the town I live in, we had huge hailstorms come through. So there were roofing companies like crazy coming through town, and I know they were hiring lots and lots of people. Uh, yes. and you know, some, some of these are not the most sophisticated business owners. If they were classifying those workers as independent contractors, but treating them, uh, you know, according to the IRS as, as employees, that that's the kind of thing you're talking about here, right? Yes. Uh, probably the most common you see are, um, construction. Okay. And, uh, but there, there are some others. Uh, these come up in one of two ways. One is the IRS will take a particular, uh, uh, industry and just pull some audit notices on, on, on those. And the other way is employee complaints or worker complaints uh, will, will trigger this, uh, sort of thing. Also, um, sometimes the state unemployment uh, division or the state workers' compensation division will go and look at something. And, of course, they're interested in the difference between employees and independent contractors as well. And if they reclassify, then they'll tattle on uh, on you to the IRS, and the IRS will come in and, and give you another whack. So the risk you run, you, you categorize these people as contract labor and uh, you know the, the construction season's over these guys uh, aren't on the payroll anymore or, or, or you know not not getting paid anymore because there's no more work to do and uh, not knowing any better because they weren't told that they weren't classified correctly they go down and, and apply for unemployment yes 
And so you, that's, that's the big risk is, is, uh, when, when people either look at it and say, well, I'm not getting the benefits that, that some of your real employees are, but I'm, I'm working here every day or, or I, I go in, you know, maybe not maliciously, but just somehow raise a, a red flag that says that, you know, Hey, here's a business out here that's not doing this right. That's a risky deal. I, those are, those are big penalties. Another one is injuries. I mean, a person is injured on the job and can't work, then they go and apply for workers' compensation. And if they hadn't been classified as an employee, the um, the, the insurance company says no, we, you're you're not covered. And so yeah, so gosh. so that so that would give them a big incentive to to file a claim. And in, in that case, I mean, boy, everybody's at risk there. Or the the worker uh, when when they're not covered by the business's umbrella. The, uh, an independent contractor. If you really are an independent contractor, you need to have your own insurance. Yes. Okay. Uh, you, you've got some uh, some topics here on insurance, so I'll, I'm just going to mention that 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 you've you, you're covering liability, additional insurance, and workers' compensation. Uh, there's also a little uh, thing in here that just talks about uh, notices from the IRS. So a good idea anytime you get anything from the IRS. Shoot a copy over to your CPA or your tax preparer just so they have it, so they know, even if it's not a big deal, right? Yes. Okay. Um, now, I, I saw there's, – there's a really interesting one here, Adrian, and this is on QuickBooks. And you said that 70% of, of business owners use QuickBooks. And um, fascinating thing about how the IRS is now asking not just for your returns and everything, but they're actually asking for the QuickBooks. Files, yes. The electronic files. This is relatively new. The audit notices that people have been getting the last couple of months uh, have uh, ordered them to uh, do all the regular stuff, bring in your bank statements and your cancel checks and that sort of thing. But also give us a um, your QuickBooks file in electronic format. <laughs> okay, so um, that that seems a little onerous, but. Uh, You've got a, a, a way around it, a recommendation that you're, you're telling people to do because uh, most of the time, if you've been using QuickBooks for any length of time, um, not only are they, are they getting the year that they asked for, but they're getting everything back to the time you started using QuickBooks. Well, that's right. It could be seven, eight years or, or, or longer of files, or it could be two or three years. And the, I mean, normally what the IRS will do is they will audit one year. Like right now, they're auditing two, 2009s and, and in some cases, 2010 uh, tax returns. And if you, and so they're only looking at that year and they can open up prior years if there's some reason to do that, which well, there's normally not. But if you give them the whole QuickBooks file, then they can um, just go on a fishing expedition for all of those open years. So what's the solution to that? Well, uh, I don't know if there's a real solution. Uh, let me tell you what people have been recommending. One is to uh, start a new file uh, in, in QuickBooks called um, a new company as of January 1st, 2012, and at the beginning of every year thereafter. And that way, in the future, you would be able to give the IRS the file for only the year that they're audit- auditing. And um, 
People think, well, you know, I've all got my chart of accounts. I've got the items, lists, employees, vendors, all those things I've put in the prior years. Well, QuickBooks will let you import that into a new file, so you won't have to worry about that. And you're not losing anything because you still have your old QuickBooks file from prior years on the computer. And uh, if you ever want to look up a a check from five years ago, you can still do that. Okay. Uh, There's – and, and again, because it's so new, I'm, I'm not exactly sure about it. But there's rumor that there are third-party software programs uh, not by Intuit and QuickBooks that can take a QuickBooks file and strip it of all but one year. And so that might be a solution uh, in some cases. And additionally, there's uh, some information that's recently be, been released related to a new feature in the actual QuickBooks program called Brackets that uh, where you just bracket a particular year. But uh, again, that's so new that that I haven't actually used that yet, and just heard that it might be available. Okay, so if you're concerned about that, you at least know that uh, uh, you you now know that that the IRS is asking for those electronic files straight out of Quicken, and uh, that'll be a part of your audit if you get audited, uh, and uh, you can you can start looking for some uh, some solutions if it's a concern of yours that you you don't want to send out. You know your your entire financial history going back to when whenever your uh, your Quicken version uh, was started. Um, let's let's kind of wrap things up here with with uh, just a few things on on personal income taxes, Adrian. Uh, take take out your uh, ten forty from two thousand ten. Me? Yes, oh, or, I don't know yeah, where or, it is, Adrian. It, it's around there somewhere, <laughs> and and look on on line sixty six zero which is on page two, and that will give you the total amount of, of your taxes for 2010. Now, you may have paid more in and therefore get a refund, or you may have had to pay some extra, but this is the the, the total amount of your taxes. And um, the IRS wants you to um, either pay enough tax in so that, that you don't have to pay anything on April 15th, or... Uh, either through withholding or through qu- quarterly estimated payments, mm-hmm. uh, but of course it's hard to make an estimate of how, you know what's my total tax going to be for the year, and so they say, okay, well, we will um, uh, not charge you any penalties if you pay um, the same amount or more than the previous year, and if you're a high income person, then that uh, that more is ten uh, percent. So so take line sixty. Multiply by 110% or 1.10, and that will give you a a number. And then you can look at your withholding your pay stubs and that sort of thing to see how much you've paid in so far uh, during 2011 toward the 2011 taxes. And if you're short, then uh, you can probably do something before the end of the year to uh, catch up or make another estimated payment on uh, January 15th or something. But that's that's the magic number. And uh, just to give you an example, um, a person's making a fairly regular amount of um, money in um, in wages and has enough withholding to cover the – uh, taxes that he paid in the previous year, but he wins in or in uh, sometime during the year he wins the lottery, he makes millions of dollars, and has uh, 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 a huge amount of extra income that year, and has to pay a lot on April fifteenth. Uh-huh. If he's merely paid in either the same amount or one hundred and ten percent of the previous year, then there are no penalties. 
even though um, he, he's got high income and had a lot of uh, April 15th uh, money to pay because it's what they call a safe harbor provision because they know it's hard for people to um, estimate exactly how much their tax is going to be. Uh, the other thing do you we think, do you think, uh, do you think those guys, the, those Wall Street guys that won the, the lottery know about that rule? Maybe <laughs> the uh, the more common case you see it's where we're a business owner who's um, uh, either um, well usually it's a subchapter S corporation who's been um, paying himself some or herself some payroll during the year, but pretty light payroll and has and the the year has ended up being way better than the previous year, and they're just going to be short and it's going to be a big payment on April fifteenth, and so. In many of those cases, we recommend that they give themselves a year-end bonus but have most of it go to withholding tax. I mean, as an example, um, a $10,000 bonus and have 9000 of it go to payroll tax so that they would have enough paid in. And then after Social Security and Medicare, their net check take-home pay may, may only be a $100 on a $10,000 gross payroll, uh-huh. but it gets enough money into the – uh, accounts so that they have met the safe harbor provision. Okay, that's that's great. That's for for a lot of people. That's that's uh, worth the time to listen to this. Um, the price of admission. Yeah, yeah. So you know the other the, the kind of the last little wrap up thing is is the legal matters. You know, if you have an LLC or a corporation, um, you've you've got all the <laughs> you've got all those uh, uh, shareholders meetings and. And uh, minutes and you know all that that kind of bookkeeping that that you need to do every year. Um, yes, uh, in in virtually all all states, uh, corporations are required to have a shareholder meeting and elect directors, and then they're required to have a directors meeting to elect officers. Uh, LLCs, depending on the state, um, the, the requirements are are roughly the same, but may not be as uh, stringent. Uh, if you have these meetings, uh, and sometimes you can do a consent in lieu of a meeting, uh, just a written document, mm-hmm. um, but but you have to document it somehow, somehow, either by the minutes of the meeting or the uh, written consent, and then there are other their activities during the year that may need documents. As an example, if uh, you lend money to your business or your money, your business instead of paying you payroll um, or distributions lends money to you, then there ought to be a, a promissory note. And again, that's um, a question that might come up on on audit that that well, your tax return shows. Um, Alone, and could I see a copy of that promissory note, please? Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, somebody somebody may actually want to look at those things someday, huh? Yes. <laughs> okay. So it, it is important. It's it's uh, not just a good idea. It's the law. Yes, and and, and uh, end of the year is when you want to get all that stuff done by. Okay. Well, Adrian, I, I, I've been fascinated by this. I, you know, I'm I'm not a financial guy, and uh, but I know these things are important, and I I think you've covered some some really important things, especially um, uh, some issues that could trip up a business. I mean, uh, this this whole deal with contract labor that it's enough to cause a business to go under and and uh, in a bad bad way for the business owner. Uh, something that people need to pay attention to. Um, 
I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, I, I know we, we recorded this on an evening, and and uh, uh, I, I appreciate uh, you you taking the time, and and hopefully we can we can do it again sometime. I, I know you've got uh, lots and lots of material. You've you've taught classes to, to business owners uh, on on ways to uh, improve their their finances. So, uh, would you like to do that? Uh, we'll we'll pick up another topic. Uh, uh, some other time and, and do another podcast. Oh yes, I'd be glad to do that. Okay, so uh, we're, we're going to send people. I'll, I'll have a link here on on brandingblog.com on on the post that has this podcast in it. That'll take you to Adrian's Facebook page, uh, which is uh, his uh, Tidbits in Time uh, Facebook page, and and you can actually like that page, and then then you'll see the the posts. That, and you make those posts just about every day, right? Yes, uh, and then you can also um, click on a link on the side and and actually sign up for his mailing list, and then uh, you'll get these things every uh, every month. And Adrian will send you a copy of this PDF if if you want, and uh, you can you'll have his email. You can ask him for those uh, Microsoft Excel uh, files that he mentioned, and uh, you'll have a new friend in the accounting and legal business. In Adrian Van Zelten. Um, anything else we missed? Anything you want to add, Adrian? No, uh, it's just that um, uh, the um, it's it's not easy for um, a, a CPA to do uh, actual work for uh, somebody in a different state or even actually a, a different town. Um, and so these these are just suggestions that that you'd use your, yourself with your own CPA. But I'd be glad to. Uh, try to help by either uh, sending copies of materials or um, answering questions well, you, you, that, you told that, me, that people have. And, and you told me you've shared this with, uh, what, a couple hundred CPAs in Austin. Right. And uh, they love it. They're going to be sending it to their, uh, to their clients. Uh, so, so well, not 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 the whole two hundred, just the ones who want to. <laughs> oh, come on, Adrian, they all love it. Um, but I think the important thing is get this from Adrian, print it out, take it to your own uh, tax preparer, or or just use it as as a way to trigger some questions, so that when you go in to uh, to make your plans uh, and and you're you're making your end of year plans, uh, you've got this and you've got your bases covered and. What we don't want is for you to uh, get into any kind of hot water with the IRS or, or in any other way. So thank you very much, Adrian, for being on the Branding Blog podcast. That's going to wrap it up. I'm Dave Young for Branding Blog. Thanks for joining us.